This is a continuation of Behind the Cover-Up, Contragate's Hidden History, written by Jeff Mackler. The Shah's Paid Assassins. Following the U.S. evacuation from Vietnam, Richard Armitage was sent to Tehran, Iran, by Shackley and Kleins. His mission was to set up Iranian bank accounts for Van Pau opium money for the now so-called private secret team. The function of the team was to seek out, identify, and assassinate socialist and communist sympathizers who were viewed by the secret team to be potential terrorists against the Shah's government. Shackley and Kleins, still functioning as CIA agents but operating privately in the United States, supervised this secret assassination project from 1976 to the fall of the Shah in 1979. Shackley was then the assistant deputy director of operations for the CIA. Kleins was his assistant. In late 1975, they hired Edwin Wilson to take direct responsibility for the assassination program. Wilson worked out of the U.S. military mission in Iran as a so-called anti-terrorist specialist. Wilson's other assignments included supplying arms and explosives to Libya, a project the secret team took on to foil alleged assassination efforts directed by Libyan President Muammar Gaddafi. At the same time, Wilson headed a CIA project to murder Gaddafi. This involved blowing up Gaddafi's personal airplane, a project which was actually carried out, but which fell short of its goal when Gaddafi left the plane to place a phone call moments before the explosion occurred. When Wilson's illegal arms sales to Libya were accidentally revealed, he was indicted by the U.S. government and jailed. Wilson is now serving a 50-year prison term in Marion Prison in Illinois. He has requested immunity from criminal persecution in return for testimony confirming the illegal conduct of the secret team. His superiors, Shackley and Kleins, were allowed to resign from the CIA by Carter appointee CIA Director Stansfield Turner. After resigning from the CIA, Shackley and Kleins continued to work with Seckard as part of the so-called private secret team. Profits from Arms Sales in 1976, Richard Seckard was transferred to Iran to serve as Assistant Secretary of Defense in charge of the Middle Eastern Division of the Defense Security Assistance Administration. In this capacity, he was in charge of foreign military sales of U.S. aircraft, weapons, and military equipment to Middle Eastern nations allied with the United States. Seckard, however, did not arrange for the direct nation-to-nation -nation sale of these weapons. Instead, by the use of a middleman, Albert Hakim, an Iranian-born U.S. businessman, Seckard purchased weapons from the U.S. government at the low, quote, manufacturer's cost, unquote, and resold them at the higher, quote, replacement cost, unquote. The difference was pocketed by Hakim and Seckard and transferred to Shackley's secret team accounts inside Iran and into the Nugenhand bank account in Australia. By 1976, Hakim became a member and business partner of the secret team. Between 1976 and 1979, the secret team set up several corporations and subsidiaries around the world to conceal their secret operations. Through these corporations, they laundered hundreds of millions of dollars of Van Pau opium money and pilfered profits from foreign military sales. Samosa aided under Carter. In the spring of 1978, 
The secret team sent Edwin Wilson to Nicaragua to offer its private assassination squad to the Somoza dictatorship. Their proposal was to assassinate the top leadership of the Sandinista Revolutionary Movement. Wilson proposed the package totaling $650,000 per year, which was to include the services of five assassins at $80,000 each and an annual expense account of $250,000. One of the assassins was to be Rafael Chichi Quintero. The others were also members of the 1960 Nixon-slash-Santo Traficante shooter team. The differences over the cost of the secret team's proposal prevented a firm agreement with Somoza at that time. Wilson returned to Nicaragua to continue negotiations with Somoza a year later. This time, the purpose was to arrange for the secret purchase of military equipment, ammunition, and explosives, given that Somoza had been formally cut off from purchasing U.S. weapons by the Carter administration's invocation of the Congressional Harkin Amendment in January 1979. This amendment prohibited U.S. military aid to any government found to have systematically violated the human rights of its own citizens. Rafael Quintero, representing the secret team, finally negotiated an arms contract with Somoza on the team's third trip to Nicaragua in early 1979. The contract provided for the illegal shipment to the Somoza dictatorship of weapons, ammunition, aircraft, and explosives. In the period between the time of the signing of this contract and Somoza's departure from Nicaragua, a period of some six months, an estimated 60,000 Nicaraguan civilians were murdered by Somoza's National Guard. Before this shipment, the Guard had sufficient arms to last for only a few weeks. Organizing the Contras after Somoza Somoza fled Nicaragua on July 17, 1979, to the island of North Clay in the Bahamas. There he again met with representatives of the secret team to negotiate the illegal sale of their private weapons. This sale enabled Somoza and his National Guard generals to begin what later became the Contra War against the legally recognized, by the United States, government of Nicaragua. The planned secret war was identical to the one Shackley and Kleins had organized against the government of Cuba between 1961 and 1965. The secret team, operating as business partners with Edwin Wilson in the Egyptian American Transport and Service Co., incorporated in January 1979, supplied weapons to the Contras. They operated out of Honduras beginning in August 1979. They later did the same in Costa Rica in 1983-84, operating out of the privately owned ranch of the secret team member and CIA operative John Hull, a U.S. businessman. This armed supply continued through October 1986, with the exception of the period between June 1981 and March 1984, when the weapons were supplied directly by William Casey of the CIA. The field officer of the secret team was Rafael Quintero, the man who met with the Contras in Honduras and Costa Rica and ensured delivery of the weapons. Quintero operated out of the Miami-based Orca Supply Co., a company originally set up by Edwin Wilson. Quintero previously worked for Wilson as a professional assassin in Libya. Reagan Continues Secret Aid When Reagan took office in January 1981, a series of White House meetings took place where it was decided to formally, but secretly, continue aid to the Contras. 
Involved in these meetings were White House Chief of Staff Edwin Meese, National Security Advisor Richard Allen, CIA Director William Casey, Vice President of the United States and Chairman of the NSC Task Force on Terrorism George Bush, and President Ronald Reagan. It was agreed that Casey and the CIA would continue the covert funding of the Contras. The secret team continued to supply weapons until June 1981, when the operation was officially, but secretly, taken over by the CIA. In June 1981, Reagan signed a classified national security decision directive, expressly authorizing CIA Director Casey to undertake the financing, training, and military supply of the Honduran-based Contras. Reagan specified that his support was conditioned upon the Contras forming themselves into a cohesive, centralized, and united force to which the CIA could channel support. This continued through 1982. During this entire period, Reagan expressly denied that the U.S. government was providing any support for the Contras. When pressed, Reagan claimed that there was only minimal aid to interdict supplies allegedly sent by the Sandinistas to the Farabundo Marti National Liberation Front FMLN, in El Salvador. The CIA assigned agent David McMichaels to prepare a report to document this alleged shipment of arms to the FMLN. McMichaels' report concluded that there was no evidence to document Reagan's claim. He was fired by the CIA. In 1983, the CIA was caught and publicly exposed for mining Nicaragua's civilian harbors and for passing out manuals to the Contras that openly advocated the assassination of Nicaraguan government authorities. Both these activities were violations of international law, according to the World Court. Reagan publicly stated that his objective was the violent overthrow of the Sandinista government to, quote, prevent the establishment in Latin America of a Soviet military base, unquote. Following the international uproar over the conduct of the CIA, Congress began to draft legislation to prevent direct and indirect aid by the executive branch of the government to the Contras. In response, Reagan, Meese, Bush, Robert McFarlane, and National Security Council Deputy Director Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North met to devise another illegal plan to circumvent the congressional ban. North turns to secret team. After the passage of the Boland Amendment, which ordered the cessation of all U.S. government aid to the Contras, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North contacted the secret team to reactivate their military supply operations to the Contras. The plan was to have Robert Owen resume the secret support network that was operative prior to June 1981. Owen was the direct personal representative of Oliver North to the Contras. Owen, North, and their cohorts were also pressing to unify the competing Contra groups in order to better persuade Congress to resume formal funding to the Contras, which Congress eventually did in defiance of international law and despite the ample documentation of the Contras terrorist record. In the meantime, Owen's key assignment was to set up a series of private organizations to secretly raise funds for the Contras. To this end, he contacted General Singlao who in turn set up the U.S. Council on World Freedom to begin the illegal collection process. Another private source of arms for the Contras was Thomas Posey and his civilian military assistance organization. Posey's group worked directly with former members of the U.S. Armed Forces, current National Guardsmen, and anti-communist Cubans and Nicaraguans to organize and finance the Contra army. So-called surplus arms were obtained directly by Posey, from the 20th Special Forces Unit of the U.S. Army in Alabama. 
A surplus U.S. Armed Forces airplane was obtained in New Jersey for shipments of arms to Ilopango Air Base in El Salvador and then to Costa Rica, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Posey's personal diary, part of the evidence in the lawsuit, detailed all this activity. Reagan's Secret Directive The effort to funnel aid to the Contras through quasi-private sources like Posey was small-scale when compared to projects formally, but not publicly, contemplated by the Reagan administration. In April 1984, for example, President Reagan issued National Security Decision Directive No. 52, which authorized Federal Emergency Management Agency Director Louise O. Gifforda to prepare a secret nationwide readiness exercise codenamed REX-84. The program was to be designed to test the readiness of U.S. Defense Forces to accomplish two purposes. One, to round up an intern in 10 federal detention camps, some 400,000 Central American undocumented aliens in the event of a presidentially declared state of domestic emergency following a U.S. invasion of Nicaragua. And two, to transfer hundreds of tons of small arms and other weapons from the Department of Defense to various National Guard units and then to various specially created state defense forces formed by act of the state legislatures of Texas, Alabama, and Louisiana. The weapons were then to be sent to secret Contra training camps in the United States for shipment to the Contras. Some of these camps were already operational and were observed by sources identified by the Christic Institute lawsuit. Airstrip and Cocaine A key component of the secret team slash CIA Contra aid program was the construction of a secret Contra base and airstrip on a cattle ranch in Costa Rica's Nicaraguan border. Heading this program was secret team leader John Hole, whose private ranch became the staging area for Contra operations. Hole also headed a special unit of an international brigade operating from his ranch. This group organized a plot to carry out a terrorist bombing of the U.S. Embassy in San Jose, Costa Rica. Included was a plot to assassinate the new U.S. Ambassador to Costa Rica, Louis Tams. The idea was to blame the assassination on the Sandinista government, thus providing a plausible pretext for a U.S. invasion. Hull's International Brigade also operated a program to ship large quantities of cocaine from Colombia to Hull's ranch. A specially lengthened airstrip was constructed for this purpose under the supervision of Rafael Quintero. With the help of Cuban-American drug traffickers Felipe Vidal and René Corbo, the cocaine, up to one ton per week, was then shipped to Miami, New Orleans, and Memphis, where it was sold. Part of the profits were diverted back to Hull, who used the money for the purchase of arms for the Contras. The cocaine was provided to Hull by Pablo Escobar and Jorge Ochoa, Colombia's two largest cocaine exporters. Richard Seckard purchased the airplanes used by the Contras to ferry weapons from Ilopango Air Force Base in El Salvador back to Hull's ranch in Costa Rica. In late April 1985, the Costa Rican Rural National Guard raided a Contra camp on Hull's property and confiscated large quantities of weapons, ammunition, and explosives. Several Nicaraguan Contra mercenaries and several foreign mercenaries, including two Americans, were arrested. They confiscated weapons specifically purchased and registered by Thomas Posey in the United States. La Penca Bombing with the failure of the CIA to unify the various Contra organizations, the secret team slash CIA 
collaborated with Adolfo Calero's Honduran-based Contra organization, the National Democratic Force FDN, in a plot to assassinate rival Contra leader Eden Pastora. The CIA objected to Pastora's refusal to integrate his Costa Rican-based ARDE forces with Miami-based Cuban mercenaries and Calero's ex-Samosa generals. The attempt to murder Pastora took place on May 30, 1984, at an ARDE press conference in La Penca, Nicaragua, called by Pastora to denounce the CIA. The attack was organized by John Hull and Costa Rican-based Contras. The weapons and C4 explosives were provided by Posey, Hull, and the secret team. The actual assassination attempt was executed by Amak Gilil, a notorious right-wing terrorist who had been previously employed by the secret police of Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet. Galil was paid $50,000 to carry out the Pastora assassination. He received the potent C4 explosive from John Hull at his ranch. Portions of the explosive were smuggled to Hull with the direct assistance of former CIA agents Theodore Shackley and Thomas Kleins. Also involved in the smuggling of the C4 explosive were Richard Seckard and quote-unquote businessman Albert Hakim. While Pastora was seriously injured in this effort, a number of journalists, including one American, were killed. Scores of others were maimed and otherwise seriously wounded, including American ABC cameraman Tony Avirgan, who is, along with Daniel Sheehan, the prime initiator of the lawsuit against the secret team. Iranian Arms Deal President Reagan, White House Chief of Staff Edwin Meese, CIA Director William Casey, Robert McFarlane, John Poindexter, and Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North contacted the secret team to arrange for the illegal sale of weapons to Iran. As in the past, the deal included manipulation of the price of these weapons in order to arrange for a profit to be used to purchase weapons for the Contras. When their secret arrangements were accidentally revealed by a member of the Iranian government, a chain of events began to unfold which exposed an aspect of functioning of the US ruling class, which is not often seen. The materials and resources of the Christic Institute have been made available to every member of the US Senate and House of Representatives. Christic Institute attorneys have provided testimony to the various joint congressional committees established to investigate what is called possible illegal activities by U.S. government officials. As of this writing, the public contragate hearings have been in progress for some six weeks, and virtually none of the information documented in the Christic Institute has been brought to the light of day. This is not surprising. For the ruling class to disclose this information would be to expose to the world that mass terrorism is at the heart of the policy and practice of those who rule this country. For this reason, the public hearings cannot be expected to accomplish more than to limit the damage already done to the credibility of the Reagan administration. The growing mass movement against U.S. interventionism in Central America can be expected to press for the truth to be told in this matter. The fact that Reagan's appeal to patriotism to justify his illegal funding of the Contra murderers has fallen flat in its testimony to the growing anti-war sentiment in the United States. The red-baiting of the past, so often effective in blunting the truth put forward by American dissidents, has little effect today as tens of thousands take to the streets to insist that the government respect the will of the majority. The Contragate hearings take place at a historic juncture in U.S. politics. 
growing numbers of working people are moved to the streets to protest the simultaneous war moves of the ruling class and the concerted drive by the same class against the standard of living of American workers. But there is another lesson to be learned from the exposure of the war crimes of the secret team. Despite the concerted use of terror by the most powerful nation on earth against the people of Vietnam, Laos, and Cuba, the war makers were defeated. The unity of the oppressed classes of these nations was more than a match for the secret plots, assassination programs, and mass murders vent upon them by the ruling elite of the capitalist system. In the end, the Cuban, Vietnamese, and Laotian masses prevailed, as will the Nicaraguan people. But tragically, the price of victory of these revolutionary peoples was great. This price will be reduced for future generations as the American people learn, by their own experience, that their own independent organization in the political arena is a prerequisite for building a world of peace and justice here and everywhere on Earth. Thus concludes the article entitled, Behind the Cover-Up, Contragate's Hidden History, written by Jeff Mackler and published in Volume 5, Issue 7 of Socialist Action, July 1987. In this article, what ultimately gives me hope is the author's assertion that the Nicaraguans will prevail in time. And decades later, the people of Nicaragua are making strides under what is now the fourth consecutive Sandinista administration. Change is a painful, frustrating, non-linear process. And here in the Imperial Corps, we certainly do not have all the answers. But I am immensely proud of those who have struggled and continue to struggle militantly toward the communist horizon. Remember, comrades, you can get early access to Menagerie episodes like this and join our Discord for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash epicincredulity. For now, comrades, enjoy your epoch.